Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about why remote work is here to stay, working remotely and productively with Ali Green, who is the co-founder and co-author of Remote Works, which is a newly released book and a consultancy for remote work. Hi, uh, how are you today? Hi, thanks so much for having me. So um, tell us more about yourself so we can get to know who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I was a remote worker way back when most people didn't even know what that meant. So since 2014, I had been working in a digital environment and working with people all over the globe. And I got into this. My story is, I think, pretty cliche at this point now that we're seeing lots of articles around people being inspired to leave their life and quit their job and travel the world. But I had been living in New York City and working in learning and development, which was directly related to my studies in organizational behavior and just following quite a traditional path. And I realized while I loved the intellectual stimulation of my work, I hated the work environment that I was in. And I wasn't feeling motivated. I wasn't feeling passionate about what I was doing. Um, I, I joke that I traded in Madison Avenue for Machu Picchu because I left my career, my apartment, this this successful life in New York City in order to backpack and travel around South America. And it just so happened while I was there, the company I was working for needed that additional learning and development support. So I stayed on as a consultant and I worked with them while I was not in New York City. And that was my first taste of what it could mean to be a remote worker. And so when I finally decided that I was ready to embark on the next step of my career, I was lucky to find a role where the CEO really believed that if you treat people like adults and you build a culture around the work and not around the fluff, that great things can happen. And so I stepped into that role as the director of people. And the company was 30 people at the time, but fully globally distributed. So we had an employee living in Japan. We had people in Europe, in the United States. And at that point, I started to travel and work full time. And I never looked back. And now, years later, I'm helping other people do the same. Gosh, that sounds like the dream. That's what I would love to do. Um, yeah. Working from home and also traveling. I mean, working, working from travel, working from holiday. Amazing. Working from anywhere. Yeah. Um, so that's great. Um, so before we get into the topic and learn more about what remote working is and how we can do it, um, we're going to do a little section we like to call Have You Met Ali, where we get to know you through some of your favorite things. Um, so what is your favorite book? I love this. So my favorite book is still a book I read growing up in school. It's called The Giver. And what I love about this book is it's a dystopian novel 
And every time you read it in your life, you're looking at this world in a different way. So it can teach you a lot about what's important to you and your values and how you're viewing the world. And so it's something I like to reread every few years since I was like 12 years old. I read that as well as um, for high school, no, middle school. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was an amazing book. I keep meaning to go back and reread it. Have you read um, any of the ones that came afterwards? I've read a lot of the, I love YA. Um, mm-hmm. So I love like the Hunger Games, um, all of those types of books. Just whenever there is a teen heroine trying to find themselves and also change the world, I get quite inspired. I think it's, it's very cheesy to say, but like our generation of workers is doing the same, trying to like question the assumptions of how everybody's been living their life. And from a young age, that kind of attitude has always inspired me. I, I read somewhere that um, like YA novels kind of reflect um, what I guess the generation before is trying to deal with. Um, so like the dystopian novels at the moment or that were really big at least 10 years ago kind of showed the environment that we were living in. Um, so huh, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the future. I hope. And now I'm a little nervous to see what books come out in the next 10 years. Exactly. Um, And what about a movie you've watched recently? So a really interesting movie. I actually watched it on a plane um, on a big trip I had a couple of weeks ago. I don't know when it came out, but it's called Flash of Genius. And it sounds boring, but it was fascinating. It was about the person who invented the windshield wipers that um, have different speeds. So before it was only on or off and this, you know, how you can change it to change with how much is raining. It was about the story of his life and him fighting against the corporations that tried to steal his idea. Um, And the person, the movie took place in Detroit and I'm originally from Michigan. So I had this like personal connection to it. And again, I just thought it was a really great story of human empowerment and I loved it. I always love the documentaries, which are about things you would never think about. Like the ones that are about really important things, they always, um, I'm always bored by them, but I love anything that's really niche. Yeah. And just like anything that tells good character development, mm-hmm. like the subject could seem really boring, but the character going through something to me is always going to be fascinating. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds great. I'm going to see if I can find that. Um, and are you listening to any podcasts at the moment? So, of course, I listen to a lot of business podcasts, but I will tell you, I had a pretty bad flu um, about a month ago, and I just wanted some like easy listening to go in and out of when I was napping and a guilty pleasure podcast of mine. I don't know how like worldwide this reference is, but there was a reality show when I was a teenager called Laguna Beach, and it got really famous. And I have a podcast now called Back to the Beach. And it's the two main characters of the show talking about how they were put in these situations as teenagers by the producers and how the producers manipulated reality TV. And it's really like a behind the scenes look of what goes on in the television industry. And I just found it to be incredibly fascinating because you don't think of these characters on TV as humans and see how it could have impacted their life. And they're about the same age as me. I felt like I grew up with them and listening to this podcast, I now can see in new reality shows, oh, they're manipulating the situation. They're faking this. And so I feel like I now have all this like inside intelligence and it makes me like more intrigued to to be a detective when I watch uh, TV. 
It must add an extra layer to reality TV. Now you're not just watching the what's happening, but you're also, I guess, watching the behind the scenes as well, at least um, what you imagine to be the behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. And it's just funny. Like, it's fun to have a guilty pleasure. And then it's like fun to have a guilty pleasure turn into like an intellectual exercise. Yeah. And I think I think, you know, using the your critical thinking skills in these kinds of situations is also really important. Um, I mean, even just for the reason it can help you to build your critical thinking skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And do you have a role model? I think in my travels, so many people have become role models to me. One of the things I've loved about having a digital nomad life is constantly meeting people who have left their home countries and left the situations they've been in in order to reach a dream that was interesting to them. Um, Of all the role models that I've met in my travels, I think my life partner is someone who really pushes me to question things and to look at things differently. Also a business owner, also a remote worker and someone who I can share ideas with and and be able to say like, oh, I, I agree with this idea and this is why we share the same values or we're totally different and this is why it works. Um, and I think that in general, more people having that approach to all types of relationships, work relationships, friendships, family relationships can bring out a lot of like again, critical thinking and like fun and creativity and, and love into a situation. And so I always look up to to him as my role model in that way. Oh, that's so sweet. I think that <laughs> yeah, any relationship, you need to have some similarities, but I also think that it's the differences that really make it work um, because otherwise you're just the same person and it's not interesting. Yeah, I was on a, I was on a podcast recently and it was funny. We were supposed to be talking a lot about, you know, work from home strategies, um, very similar to this. And very quickly it divulged into a how to work from home with your partner and how to work from home when you have family members around. And it's a topic that not a lot of people are talking about. And so it is nice to have ro- role models of people who are talking very vulnerably about, um, I like to work when there's a lot of like noise around me and my partner likes to work in quiet. And how do you make that like work okay? And and having other people to look up to and share that story or just having it within your own ecosystem is becoming more and more important because everybody's experimenting right now and everybody's figuring out what's working for them. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. I think I've definitely experienced that. I know my brother's also experienced that with his partner. Um, that's a conversation that I think more people need to be having. Yeah. And um, man, I wish we're doing that, but we're doing something else today. We can do this <laughs> next time. Another time. <laughs> Another time. Perfect. Um, and has there been a course that's inspired you? So I think I'm one of the very lucky people in the world that I went and I studied in university, something that was life-changing to me and very inspiring for what I ended up doing in my career. My whole entire life, I was a math and science kid. And then I took an organizational business psychology class in undergrad. And the very first 101 class, we talked about communication. We talked about leadership styles. We talked about human motivation. Um, there's a chapter in the book, Remote Works, inspired by this class because we talked about team development and everything I learned in that class became the building block of why I wanted to get into HR and people operations and 
has directed me in my career thus far. And I think it's very rare to say, oh, I took this intro class freshman year of university and decided this was what I'm going to do with my life and actually stuck to that path. And um, for the, the majority of my career, that is what I've done. And that's a that's a big turn going from like maths and science, <laughs> which I guess they feel very, um, I guess, mathsy, um, <laughs> into quite a people-oriented uh, job. Um, I don't yeah. know, maybe that's just my stereotypes. <laughs> no, I think it, it's true. I think what you realize about yourself um, through like education is you can have the skill set in one area, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you enjoy it. And it's equally important to find your your passion and where your skill sets match up and allow room for that to happen at any point. So for me, for at least the first chunk of my life so far, it happened quite young and I feel lucky because of that. For some people, it happens even younger. There's, you know, kids that know from age eight, oh, I'm going to be a vet or I'm going to, you know, study piano for hours a day for other people. And I think I have a, a second round in me that that's going to come in the next few years. It's you get inspired later in life and you change gears and you shift. And I think the more you can be open to not being latched on to what you've been told you're good at your whole life will open up room to be inspired and, and lead your professional and personal life in different ways. I'm looking forward to finding out what mine is one day. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, that's great that, yeah, you, um, and that you're open to changing and to learning and to growing, um, and not being stuck, to, um, not that it's bad to be stuck in one place, but, um, I think it's also great to be open as well. Yeah. Um, so what, over the course of your experience, how do you define personal productivity? Yeah. So this is a question I find really interesting because I think everybody, assumes that productivity is an easy word to define, but then everybody comes with a different definition to the table. And so when I talk about productivity, I like to think about how you're adding value to your craft. And so the, the dictionary definition of this is actually creating, enhancing, or bringing forth a, a goods or a service. I like to remove the goods or service piece from it and still think about what are you creating? What are you enhancing? Or how are you bringing forth the unique value that you as a person offer to move the needle forward in your line of work? And so if you're a web developer, how are you thinking about writing code in a way that's enhancing the code, making sure that there's no mistakes or creating code from scratch? Not how do I write as much code as possible, which is maybe what some people would think about when they think of productivity. Yeah, I would definitely think that, yeah, it would be a quantity thing rather than a quality thing. But I guess, um, obviously quality, I guess quality hopefully would eventually create at least some more quantity. Um, but yeah, you obviously want more, better things um, yeah, and, be, and be producing the, better things. If the better thing exists, you don't need more. I think mm. it is a, is a important distinction. I think a lot of people, when they think of productivity, they think of how much can I get done from my to-do list? But if you're getting everything done really fast and you're making mistakes, then you're just going to have to go back and do the to-do list again, or you're going to have to redo certain parts or pass that off to somebody else. And you're giving that person more work instead of if you're intentionally sitting down and saying, 
okay, this to-do list is too long. I'm not going to rush through it. How can I make sure the first three high priority things are done with as much value as possible? Then to me, that is what's going to be most meaningful for the output. And being more output oriented is where we see a lot of trends over time in terms of evaluating performance and therefore productivity as well. Interesting. And um, what else do people get wrong about productivity? Um, It's not just time management. Um, So this is a mistake I made really early on in my career. I used to teach time management courses in my learning and development um, area of expertise. And it was all about, you know, you have a finite 24 hours in a day. How do you place your most important things to get that done? And while it's true there's 24 hours in a day, not all 24 hours are created equal. And so one of the big things that we teach in our book and we've we've partnered with um, someone, Dr. Sahar, who studies really how the brain works. And so it's, you know, really cool to see how it came together in remote works because it's through not only our lived experience, but through this academic research as well, is that it is true that you know, people say like time flies when you're having fun, you can get more done when you're working at your peak productivity. And so it's not about time management. It should be more about energy management. And people don't really know what that means. Sometimes it sounds too like woo woo for people. Um, They don't know how to evaluate it or judge it. And so they shy away from it. And so one of the things I like to talk about a lot is how do you teach people about managing their energy and how can you shift that mindset to be more about that and less about the, you have a finite 24 hours in a day and this is how you're gonna you know become a robot and get all these things done in your to-do list. And it's like, no, it's about listening to yourself and listening to your rhythm and knowing more about how you work in order to work more effectively. I've definitely noticed that like four or five o'clock myself, I will suddenly switch off. I can't do any more work. Um, doesn't matter how hard I try. Um, I just can't get anything done. Um, and so I always go for a run at that point. And then I come back in the evening and you know what? I'm so much better. Um, I actually get things done. Um, and that's just something that I had to figure out for myself. Yeah. I hope you got a run in before, before we got to talk then. Cause I know that with the time zones, there's a, always a challenge too, to match people's productivity on their optimal work time with each other when you're mm. collaborating. So that's something that <laughs> teams have to work out. <laughs> yes. Um, it's okay. I had a run yesterday, so I wasn't going to run today. Good. <laughs> Try not to do too many things. Otherwise I'll injure myself. Um, so speaking of, I guess, having time to like go for a run in the middle of the afternoon and, you know, being able to leave work. Um, what is remote work? Yeah. So remote work, again, is something that I think right now people are struggling to define. There's so many terms right now. So there's remote work, there's remote first, there's hybrid work, there's, you know, flex working, telework. There's just so many different words out there. To me, I really want to simplify it. And I believe that remote work is really about how you're utilizing technology and a digital first mindset to unlock all of the benefits that this new wave of the world can allow. And so it's not just where you're working anymore. It's about using the tools and the technology to build a skill set. And then with that skill set, allowing yourself, your team, your employees to work 
wherever. So that's the location flexibility we talked about. But also whenever the time flexibility we're talking about, I just want to take a break in the middle of the day and go for a run. And also how, what are the the surroundings, who you're working with, what type of work you're doing first, second, third, in order to be the most productive. And so it's really about putting the ownership and the autonomy back to the individual instead of creating a solid container, literally like the cubicle, for people to say, this is where we're expected to be productive and to be creative and to be innovative. And so instead of it being a top-down approach, it's becoming highly customized and highly individualized because technology allows us to communicate, share information, set expectations with one another. So I can imagine that if you step into this remote working position um, in a new job, it can be quite challenging, I guess, to figure out what what works for you. Um, if your work says, you know, you, we need you to work uh, six hours every day, but you can work whenever you like. How how do you go about, I guess, you know, creating the environment that works for you and the time and um, yeah. Yeah. So what I would recommend to people is that first they try to unlearn things that they've been told through society because these things might not work for them, but they are so highly accustomed to doing them that they assume that it works for them. So people naturally assume, well, nine to five is when I'm most productive, or it's the easiest time to work because my kids are in school, um, or it's just what I've always done and I'm a creature of habit. And these are stories that we tell ourselves. These are little thoughts that help increase a behavior, but they might not be the right behavior for us. So the very first step as a new remote worker is to erase all of that from from a whiteboard, let's say, and you're starting from a clean slate. And your next step then is to experiment. And so in our book, I mentioned this before, we have an energy tracker. You can also get a free copy online. And this is a tool to help you experiment with yourself. And and we call it a, um, a user design study. Um, like a diary study, for example, where you're taking notes and, and the tool helps you take notes about when you work best, where you work best, with whom you work best. Like, as I mentioned, do you work better alone? Do you like working with your coworkers? Do you just like working with friends that don't work at the same company, but you want that energy? Um, what order do you like to do tasks? And for how long can you work before you need a break? And so once you start knowing these things about yourself, there's real information you can pull out that are levers that you can control to design that six hour workday, let's say, or four hour workday or eight hour workday. And so one of those is truly the stereotype of being a morning bird or a night owl does exist. There are human chronotypes and everyone naturally has one, but we alter them in order to fit into society. And so through this diary study, it was funny because me and my co-author were able to find out she's very much a night owl. And she, you know, said to me like, hey, actually, this makes sense my whole life. Like as a kid, it was really hard for me to go to bed at my bedtime. And um, I was always getting in trouble because my, my brain was just so active at night. And when I started working remotely, I really struggled to wake up and go to work at 9 a.m. and get work done. But when I got home, And like after a workout or after hanging out with my friends, I would be like getting ready for bed and just all these thoughts would come and all these brainstormings would come. And I'm the exact opposite. And I mostly spend my time in Europe. Um, For those listening, you can tell probably that I'm I'm American. I have an accent. 
Um, so it's not natural, like necessarily for me to be working in this time zone or to be living in this time zone. But for me, it works so well because I joke that I'm an afternoon person. I, I sort of have a, a camel with two humps of energy throughout the day, whereas I work really well in the late afternoon, but I also have a little bit of peak in the late morning and I need to take lots of breaks throughout the day in order to focus. And it was always interesting because when people would ask me these questions, I would I joked for so long, oh, I'm solidly an afternoon person. Like I don't like waking up too early, but I also am like in bed by 10. Like I don't stay up late either. And it works really well with remote work because knowing that my business partner is hours behind me and is a night worker, all of this new information comes in overnight. And when I wake up, there's new things for me to review, to work with, to push projects forward. And so we don't hold each other back by leaning into our own work styles. And so that's just like one example of after experimenting and then talking with the people you work with, how remote work can actually positively impact how you're thinking not about just individual productivity, but also team productivity. That's so interesting. But then what happens like, so you're saying that you work, um, you know, in your morning and your afternoon and then your partner works in the evening. So what happens if you, if it doesn't line up, like, do you never get to talk to each other? Like, how do you build those relationships? Yeah, that's a great question. So that goes to what kind of work energizes you. And so another thing that you should think about as it terms as it relates to to energy management is what brings you joy, what gives you energy boosts, and what really is a drain for you throughout the day. And so I would say that for me, one of my biggest values and connectors in life is human connection. Like I love building relationships with people. I love community. And so while I don't like having lots of meetings throughout the week, if it's a meeting where I'm building a relationship with somebody, especially my business partner, she was a longtime friend before we embarked on writing the book together, that's something that that brings me joy. And it's also something that's necessary for the business. So we dedicate time throughout the week that's a, that's a time zone that's appropriate for both of us. So it's not too early in the morning for her because that's just not going to work. It's also not too late in the evening, but it is the late afternoon for me. Um, and that will sometimes give me that extra boost of energy I need to maybe do one more business call with her if we're collaborating on a client project together. And so by setting up the work itself, where I say, hey, we're going to do this one call that gives us both energy because we get to connect with each other. We get to talk about our work. We get to catch up personally. And then we can go do this business call. And then I get to end my day and you get to take a big break and then start your day. And that's how we can make these compromises. So again, it may not be perfect for teams, but it's about having the self-awareness so that you can line things up appropriately and start creating what we call simple rules. So another simple rule that I've started is I don't take more than three calls back to back because while I like that social time, more than three starts to drain my energy. And it's taken a while to learn that. I've had days where I've had eight calls in, the in a row. I've had weeks where I've had one call every day. And I've had to learn actually, hey, I think I prefer this sweet spot where I have maybe two days a week, I allow meetings, no more than three at a time, and then I give myself a big break. So if I need to have maybe four meetings a day, one has to be in the morning and the rest are gonna be in the afternoon. And so the more you can create these guidelines for yourself, it becomes sort of like an internal playbook of how you work best. You can express your needs. Your needs might not be able to be met, 
but then you can talk honestly and openly with your colleagues, with your clients and find a solution together. Yeah. So it sounds like, um, just, yeah, finding out what works for you and using those rules and using what you've learned to actually be more productive. So rather than just nose to the grindstone, 9am to 5pm. Um, yeah, that sounds like a great time for me because, um, yeah, I don't really want to work nine to five. I want (laughs) to just work, um, morning and maybe early afternoon. Yeah. And then go for a run. Yeah, I think more people need to know that about themselves. A mistake I see happening is people cater too much to their manager or too much to their client or someone who they perceive to be in higher authority to them. And I think that can cause quickly burnout and resentment and not lead to productive work results because they're assuming the other person's way of working is better than theirs. And there is no better or worse. It's just different. And so What happens if you don't take the time to build self-awareness is you won't know what your triggers are going to be. And all of a sudden you find yourself and I'm sure everybody's found themselves where you're sitting and you're like rereading an email over and over again. And you're just like, why is this information not getting into my brain? Why is it taking me 20 minutes to respond to this email? Um, And that's because you're not working in your peak hours or you burnt yourself out somewhere throughout the day. Um, you've said yes to too many things without knowing what your own personal boundaries are. And so regardless of what position you are in a company from first time worker, like junior level employee, all the way up to CEO, the first step in personal productivity is building self-awareness, unlearning what society has told us and relearning through experimentation what works for you. And only from there can you then decide and negotiate and barter, hey, this is how we're going to set up our day. This is what's going to work for us as a team. Sounds a bit scary to be going to your supervisor, especially as a um, newbie to say, "Um, hi, I would like to work these hours. Do you have any tips to like help people there? Yeah, um, my tips there is mostly for the manager. Um, I think that the enlightened manager your goal is to set your employees up for success. Your goal is to help the company have better quality output, therefore productivity. In order to do that, really knowing that there's different work styles involved is going to be incredibly important. And so the tools that um, I teach managers through our workshops and through our book is really about how to set that initial stage to allow the empowerment to the employee And so the things the manager can do, one is lead by example, which we've already talked about. Two is there's something that I recommend called a collaboration kickoff. And so people are quite familiar with the idea of a project kickoff. When you're kicking off a project and you set down like, these are the specifications of the project. This is what done looks like. This is what we're measuring success by. You can also do that with human relationships. So sit down with your new employee and, you know, start asking them, questions like, how do you like to receive feedback? What hours of the day are you most productive? What commitments outside of work do you have that take up time that is going to distract you from work? Not in a way that's going to broach any HR regulations in your local country, of course, like, you know, obviously being ethical to that. But if you have someone who is a caretaker and that's why they're working remotely, um, knowing that they have like regular appointments that they're going to that can be quite stressful 
don't book a meeting right before they have to leave for that appointment if it can be adjusted easily for everybody to have that appointment more a couple hours before. And so I think it's really just about, again, like having open conversations and being on the same team to design the workday together. Whereas the old system was, we own you from nine to five and we fill your calendar with whatever we want during those hours. Mm. And so the conversation's really shifting from, we have a bucket we need to fill to there is no bucket anymore, which can be dangerous in terms of setting boundaries and overwork. But now that there's no bucket, how can we be respectful of each other's time and what are the expectations? So I do think a manager's job is also clearly stating, we expect you to be available for at least three meetings a week of this type. We expect you every Monday to write a report. We expect you to, you know, if there's a deadline at this time zone that you fill in the paperwork to respond to that deadline. And if you miss that, then there's something wrong here and we need to have a conversation. Mm, And what's wrong is that they're not working um, according to what works for them the best. Yeah, or there's a skill gap. They don't have the ability yet. Mm -hmm. The manager needs to train them. They're not a good fit for remote work. Um, I hate to be the one that says this as an advocate for remote work, but maybe they don't want, they don't like having that much freedom and flexibility. They are the kind of worker who wants that box and that container and having that container does actually work for them in the end. They unlearned the behavior and they learned that they need that. And so how can they be put in a role where they have that rigid structure? How can they create that rigid structure for themselves? Um, Things Mm. like that. I guess, why have we started working more remotely recently? Um, You said that it was unusual for you when you started, um, but I feel like everyone's doing it now. Yeah. So I think there's an obvious answer. I hate talking about the obvious answer. So You know, COVID was really a a push to be a catalyst for what a lot of advocates like myself had been fighting for for many years. And I remember the exact time where some of my friends that worked quite traditional jobs were WhatsApping me and saying, we have 24 hours to get all of our stuff and head home. Our our office is shifting to work from home. Um, The technology has existed for a very long time for us to be able to do this. So it's never been a problem around, are we capable of working remotely from a tools perspective? The problem has been, and the problem still is years later, which is incredibly frustrating to me, the human behaviors have not shifted to the degree they need to allow these setups to be successful. And frankly, there's a lot of like, tax and compliance issues that are still confusing and out of date and scary for a lot of companies to be willing to take the risk or invest in educating themselves on how to do things differently. The trigger now, I believe, is that people learned that it is possible. While it was not perfect the past couple of years, they were forced into it in an imperfect situation through a lot of like traumatic experiences the past couple of years with um, a lot of fear going on around the pandemic with not feeling physically or emotionally well with things going on with the economy and their families. There's been a lot of stress on humanity and still people have made it work. And so if they can make it work in these imperfect conditions, what could happen if people worked remotely, when managers were equipped and educated on how to support their remote teams, 
when things were going better for the world, for society, for companies, for teens, and when people were given the leeway to do more of this experimentation that we we're talking about, because it's not just sitting at the one desk in their home alone, feeling sad and lonely and isolated and on Zoom calls from 9 to 5 p.m., which is this picture that's been painted for us. And so why it's working now is because I think people are finally starting to see what it had been for me from the years of 2014 to 2019. And people are demanding a taste of that. They're starting to question things. And this is becoming a trigger effect that's telling all sorts of people, generations, um, backgrounds, and, and, and those from different life circumstances that you do not have to live and work like previous generations. There's people with different physical disabilities that are finally entering the workforce and getting the types of jobs that they've always deserved. And they're getting access to these things. And they're saying, we don't want to give this up. There's people in countries that before had to move to a new country in order to access a job that would give them a sustainable life. And now they can not have that choice be something that is as life-changing for them. They can stay in the country that they were born with their family and also have a really amazing intellectually stimulating job that is paying them what they deserve. And it sounds like very, you know, the opposite. It sounds very utopian at, at this point, going, going back to our references to dystopian novels, but it doesn't have to be. And I think people are finally waking up to that. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that it gives you a lot more freedom, um, you know, if you do have some reason that you can't get into work, you know, even just the train lines aren't working. It means you can still go into work and you're not hindered by, um, you know, the outside world, I guess, uh, or even the internal home situation or um, your health situation. What are some other benefits to remote working? Um, I think for me, it's really just about like people can design their work and their life in a way for them. And so personally, there's a lot of benefits. You get to have this lifestyle design. There's more room for you to think about holistically what's going to be good for your health. Um, I personally like home cook pretty much all of my lunches and dinners at this point. I prioritize my workouts instead of fitting my workouts around my nine to five schedule. So I've personally seen um, my health totally change from when I was in my 20s working in an office till till now. Um, I'm more motivated and feel more intellectually stimulated in my job because I'm working again according to when I'm most productive. And because I get to choose when I work, I'm more interested in the projects that I'm doing. And that is a benefit not only for me personally, but also for the companies that I'm working for. Um, and there's professional benefits as well. And so companies now have access to this expansive global hiring pool. I think that's really important that it's not just about finding the top candidate, but it's finding the best match candidate. Who is the person in the world that is so interested in the mission and value that your company is doing that has this unique skill set that is going to be a good match for your company? So it's matching more people together. Yes, it's becoming more competitive, but it's also increasing the opportunities for everybody. And for certain companies, depending on your product or service, there's global coverage. So whether it's um, global coverage for like 
IT teams. Um, so if your site is down, usually, you know, a traditional company will have some people on call and those people had to be available 24 hours a day. But what if you have an on-call system designed because of remote work where you have global coverage and you have people hired in different time zones and you pass the responsibilities throughout the day. And so nobody is ever, you know, waking up at like 2 a.m. because the site crashed or you have customer service and you can have customer service reps throughout the globe. Or even you have people working and living in local communities and educating the company about how they do things differently. When I worked for DuckDuckGo, um, one of my colleagues gave an amazing presentation about how people use the internet in Japan and like why it's different than what you might assume as an American. And that cultural moment is something that like now years later, I still reference and talk to because not only was it just like personally interesting, but it also gave us insights to how we could be designing the, the search page differently. And I think companies are going to see more and more of this value, both from a professional standpoint and also just the value of letting people decide what's best for them. And what about some negatives? Are there any negatives about remote working? Yeah, of course. I mean, I could sit here with like my rose colored glasses all day and be like, this is the best thing ever. I think the negatives come from lack of experience and not really understanding how things should work. And also society not fully being ready to adopt remote workers in every like nook and cranny of the world. And and so there, while I think a lot of what's being said about remote work in the media is not true, um, there's a hint of truth in, in everything. And so there's a lot of misconceptions and myth busting I like to do around common things that plague remote workers. Um, the number one thing being isolation and loneliness. I think that can be very true for remote workers. My counterpoint to that is I think it can also be very true for in-office workers. I think loneliness and isolation is now a global problem based off of shifts that we've made culturally and how we think about community. And there shouldn't be necessarily this pressure that your friends, your social circles, your connections are going to come from work. I think it's important that we allow people and we foster people in our companies and outside of our companies to make human connection. But if you look at lately how certain areas are designed, that's not always feasible. I love to work in coffee shops. I love to have interesting conversations with people I run into at coffee shops. Um, I currently spend most of my time in a rural town where there's no coffee shop. And so if you think just about how society's moving and growing, um, while I might have to commute one hour to a city if I was working in a traditional job, I also have to commute 25 minutes to go to a, a local coffee shop. And I think we'll start seeing that people are demanding more third spaces, community spaces, places to work from, and that's going to look different. Another challenge that people talk about with remote work, especially as it relates to productivity, is people are working too much. They don't set boundaries. They're rolling out of bed, going directly to their laptop, closing their laptop and going to eat dinner and then going to bed. And I think, again, that's not just a problem with work. That's a problem also with how we're socializing digitally. We have learned to be always on and responsive to our iPads, our phones, our computers. If something buzzes, we respond. And so as a society, again, I think 
there needs to be more empowerment to slow down and to not be always on, to not be responsive, which is why I think the remote work practice of asynchronous communication is really powerful, not just in business, but socializing too. It's okay for things to take time. Not everything should happen fast. And again, that quality over quantity, if it's a higher quality, but slower in the end, is that not better? Um, and, and so those are some of the counterpoints I have, but those are very real problems with remote mm. work um, and things I still struggle with. Like when when the quarantine happened with COVID, um, like I've been a remote worker at this point since 2014 and I was stuck in a studio apartment and I, I would joke, I'm like, I'm like a caged lion. I'm not supposed to work from home. Like I like to work at restaurants. I like to work at coffee shops. I like to work at the library. And now I'm in this little apartment. What do I do? Um, and so even for me, there's been struggles over the past few years to relearn how I can work remotely if I'm not traveling as much as I used to, or if I don't have all the amenities that I want. Um, it's a constant learning process. Um, what about the opposite of what you were saying with people who slack off, um, and who aren't working, who say they are working? Is yeah. that a problem? I mean, so I have another tongue-in-cheek answer for this. It's a problem in offices too. Um, like if you don't trust your employees, why are you hiring them? You assume in an office environment, someone's sitting there from nine to five and they're constantly working. That is just like physically and mentally not possible. Humans only have the ability to focus for seven to 10 minutes at a time before they get distracted. So assuming they're at their computer working constantly just because they're in an office is is false. And so I would ask you to really think more about what is the fear of them slacking off? Is it a fear that you don't have visibility into their work? Well, how do you structure your remote work setup where you have more visibility? Maybe there's asynchronous check-ins around project management. And this is something that I've done both at DuckDuckGo um, and now currently with remote works of a Monday stand up, but it's written where I say, this is my top priority. This is what I need help with. These are when I'm around for extra meetings if they pop up throughout the week. And on Friday, I write a written recap. This is what I was able to get done. This is how much progress I've made on the project. So you don't wait for things to be done before you share them. Um, you work out loud, which is another thing at the company Oyster I've worked for that, that they really promote and talk about as well is like, working out loud. So if anyone pops in, almost like walking over to your desk, they can see where you are in your project. Um, if it's a fear because you don't trust your employees or you don't know how to manage without micromanaging, then you need to ask yourself, is there something broken with our hiring process? Is there something broken with my management skills process where I don't trust people or I feel the need to control the situation in order to let people work remotely? Um, are you not measuring the right things? If you're only measuring input and not output, is it because you don't know how to evaluate KPIs um, or key performance indicators? So all of these are things that I would start with when I question management and leadership teams and not so much about how do you ensure people are, are slacking off? Um, because frankly, my first job in an office, I spent a lot of time online shopping, planning vacations, um, texting my friends, like there were there were lots of times where I was sitting in an office and not working, and now I'm working remotely. And anytime I sit down at my laptop to do work, it's because I'm ready to do the work. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and that's just a you know a personal aside uh but it's something i'm i'm here and i'm willing to admit yeah <laughs> i guess um it's just part of the learning process um but i guess what you're saying is that um Remote work has many problems, but they're problems that are also evident in non-remote work, in office work, um, and that they're more systematic issues rather than problems with the individuals. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And there'll always be problems with one or two bad apples. I just, I firmly believe don't punish everybody for a few bad apples. If you have a few people that are slacking off, figure out why. Um, mm. Is it a motivational issue? Is it a skill issue? Are they not a good fit? Um, or is it a you as a manager issue? Um, but I do think exactly what you said, like these are systematic problems and these problems exist everywhere. Remote work is just the scapegoat. Mm -hmm. And um, what about, do you have any tips on how to like keep a healthy balance between remote work and also your personal life? Because as you said, people overwork themselves. Yeah. Um, there's so many things you can do. I think it, it comes down to what works for you. Um, in interviewing our book, we talked to 30 plus different remote work kind of experts, people that have been doing this in some capacity um, at different levels in their organization. And we heard really cool examples of what people do. And I want to share some of their stories because mine are, are quite scattered. I'm someone that does not like routine at all. So every day I do something different. And I think we'll talk about, about my strategy in a little bit. Um, but one person that um, we interviewed, actually, when they finished the workday, they practiced the piano. And so their like sign to both their family and themselves is to go and play on the piano as a way to kind of designate and to release stress that they're done for the workday. Um, and I really liked that because it seemed like quite a beautiful way to integrate and prioritize a hobby that you have. Um, we had a lot of people that discussed um, going for nature commutes. And so what I mean by that is just getting outside of your house and going for a quick, you know, it could even just be 10 minute walk around your neighborhood or around the block as a way to get fresh air and as a way to designate that you're leaving your home and then coming back to your home. Um, I was recently visiting and staying with a friend of mine and both her and her fiance were new to remote work. And so it was funny with me as their house guest. And we actually implemented that practice multiple times in the week that I was staying with them, where every morning we would all get up and go walk to the local coffee shop and grab a coffee and walk until everybody went to their respective areas where they would choose to work remotely. So one would go back to the home office that was like specifically set up for that. Sometimes I would just walk to another coffee shop that I preferred for remote working. And so that going for a walk is a ritual that I think a lot of people I see in different environments adopting. Um, the most simple and basic one, um, and you can integrate this one as a company, is having a way to like sign off virtually for the day. And so if you're using a project management tool, you can just write in that tool like the close of my day is now here, so I will not be responding to any more messages. Shut your laptop, close all the professional tabs. And even if 30 seconds later, you're opening it back up to like go on Netflix or, or something like that, there's a ritual there of you've communicated your boundary with your colleagues, you've closed your laptop, the work is gone, and then you're opening it up to do something personal. And, and just those little triggers are flags for the other people you're working with, the other stakeholders that, hey, now you're going to have to wait for an answer. 
Yeah, I've had to do that before where I've been really worried about something and I'm like, no, I have to leave now. So I said, you know, I'm, I'm on holiday. I'm on um, a weekend now. Can't talk to me. Um, but it's so hard when I hear the dings of the emails. So closing the windows is definitely something that I should be doing. Yeah. And then when I go on, when I go on really important holidays, I, I delete apps from my phone. Wow. Uh, Going to be bold and, and encourage people to do that. So yeah. I use this, I use a sauna. It's a project management tool and I like the interface on the phone. It's quite fun and easy, but if I'm on a really important personal holiday, I delete Asana and then I re-download it when I'm back. So there's no, like no pulling me in. <laughs> See, I would forget my password and then I would be like, I don't know how to get back into here. It's a problem. Yeah. It, bit of a problem. I guess you only have to do it every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. Um, so you also mentioned that you had um, your own practices that you do to manage working from home. Do you mind um, explaining what that is? Yeah, so I have this um, practice I like to call one place, one goal. And basically what it is, it's a way for me to be out in my physical surroundings um, or sometimes at home and use my physical cues as a way to designate my focused work. And so how that comes about is that I choose one location, let's say a coffee shop, and I say, I'm going to go to this coffee shop. And while I'm there, I'm going to work on this very specific task, such as building a presentation for a conference I'm going to speak at. When I finish that task, I'm going to leave the coffee shop. Um, maybe I'll stay and hang out and have a chat or finish drinking my coffee, but I'm not going to do any more work there. Instead, I get up, I change locations. Maybe I come back home and at home, I'm going to have two meetings and I'm going to sit at my home office desk and I'm going to take those two meetings. And what that does for me is that it really gives me a visual trigger of the context of what I'm supposed to be doing and it motivates me to get that work done. It helps set the boundary because when I'm done working, I have to take a break in order to move to a new location. And I get a bit of like physical exercise and fresh air because normally I'm like walking, even if I'm like walking back to my car in order to drive home, um, or if I'm like walking from one coffee shop to another coffee shop, I get that little bit of like just moving around. And that gives me a lot of energy to like clear my head and to start my next task. Mm. I, I find that when I get a bit overwhelmed with work, I like going for a work, uh, a walk, and that sort of helps to reset my brain as well. So I can definitely see how that would, um, yeah, help with productivity and yeah, focusing on something at work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a great practice. I'm going to try that. Um, also means I get to go to a coffee shop and have coffee while I work. Yeah. And even a treat, if it's a really big project and mm -hmm. you're going to say like, I'm going to reward myself with, uh, you know, a nice cookie or a muffin after. Oh, uh, perfect. Um, yeah. was there some, anything that, um, you wanted to talk about that I've missed? Um, I know we've mentioned this a few times throughout the presentation. I've dropped little uh, little clues on, on my passion for community, third spaces. I've mentioned how much I travel. And then I think that surprises people to hear as a remote worker um, the, the extents of which uh, my travel has taken me as a digital nomad. I, I think people sometimes confuse all of the terms together. And so if, if we do have time, I'd love to jump into 
what it means to be a digital nomad, what that overlap with remote work is and how third spaces and community fits in. Because to me, it's a bit of a, a Venn diagram. Yeah, I I have heard of the term digital nomad, but I don't know much about it. And a third space, I don't really know what that is. So I'd love to learn more about what that means. Awesome. So um, I'll start with third space because third space is something that I think will be more important, whether you're a digital nomad, a remote worker or not. But it's really about having a place that's not your home and not your workspace in order to spend your time. And so it's not necessarily a business either, while it can be. Um, It's more about a place where you feel safe, you feel inclusive, and you feel like you can go to build community. And so throughout history, there's been places that are third spaces rooted in religious backgrounds. So it might have been your kind of your synagogue or your church. Um, It could have been a, a sport or an activity in the United States. Bowling alleys were quite popular for a while to come together and to socialize. But more and more, we're seeing these disappear. Um, even co-working spaces, which are the, the quintessential third space of like building community and remote workers will always say, oh, if you don't like working from home and you don't want to work from an office, go to a co-working space. There's a big barrier to entry. The price point can be quite high. You have to sign up in advance. Sometimes you need to go on a tour before you're allowed to use the space. So it's not immediately accessible to people. And so I think more and more what we'll see or what are these spaces where community is promoted and how can people connect to one another? And this will combat things like that loneliness, like that isolation, getting people out in their community and also sharing ideas that can be like beneficial in promoting like, oh, I've been struggling with this problem and you're working on something similar for a totally different company. And we can just workshop through this together over a cup of tea and now I have a lot of new ideas and I can go back and be productive in my work. Um, This is something that I did quite frequently. A good friend of mine is a yoga teacher and me working in, you know, HR consulting people operations, we would often work together and things like my experience with salary negotiations and her challenges figuring out how to price a yoga class, oftentimes were very compatible and very fun to have that conversation with each other. But it wouldn't naturally happen because unless we were working together, like we wouldn't necessarily talk about that if we were, you know, a Saturday night out at dinner. Um, and, and so that's why these third spaces are quite important. How that overlaps with remote work, as you might have guessed, is they can also be great places for people to work remotely and to connect with each other. And then with the digital nomad circle, I've seen these pop up as places where people can also live and spend time with communities, um, such as co-living spaces, which is something that I'm really passionate about, where um, you can have them just for adults, multi-generational people with families and kids coming to live and work in these spaces. And, and so my experience as a digital nomad Um, I'll try to define this term. It has a lot of uh, negative connotations, a lot of stereotypes, but really someone who, because of remote work, is able to spend time in a residential area that's not theirs. Um, And so it could be something as simple as going on a work vacation um, and spending a prolonged period of time in a different city or a different country. Or it could be something that I've done from, you know, 2017 to 2020. I was traveling full time and every month, more or less, I moved to a different country. The longest I lived anywhere in that three year period was three months in Cape Town, um, which is actually where I I met my co-author. 
And also kind of dipping uh, now more into like expats where you have a base, but you also go and you travel. So last month, for example, I spent three weeks in Portugal and I was in Portugal and I met in person with a handful of people that were expats living in Portugal. I had four friends traveling, one from Argentina, um, you know, some from the UK, and we all decided to meet there and work and live together and just like reconnect with each other. And so I think what's going to happen more and more is people, I think people are a little stuck and they want to experience life again and and they want to get out there and do things. And I think we're going to start seeing people question why do I have to work from home if I can go visit my parents and not take time off work and go for a month instead of a weekend around Thanksgiving or around Christmas? Or I've always wanted to go to Thailand and I wanted to go on a vacation, but it's so far and it's so much money to fly that far. Or I always wanted to go to the United States or, or Canada, but it's so far and so expensive to travel to that side of the world, whichever way you're going. Um, why do I just go on holiday there? Why don't I go there and combine it with some time working and also meet people like in my industry and chat with people and just have this more holistic experience? And so I think more people will experiment with it for a short period of time. I also think more people are starting to realize that for whatever reason, where they were born is not necessarily where they were meant to live long term. Um, and I think that showing them that there's alternative ways of approaching their life in that way is quite important. And remote work really unlocks that for people as well. Um, it's why I've found myself in Europe. Um, never did I, you know, think growing up outside of Detroit um, that one day I would be living like, you know, in Spain and France and traveling in the UK and spending time in Poland and Portugal and it's been super rewarding for me personally and professionally because I've gotten to connect with my colleagues. I've gotten to to meet my friends and, and things like that. Um, so I just think there's a new way of life opening up that there's a lot of new conversations starting around this topic. That's amazing. I love that. Um, yeah. Um, one day I'll get to do that. In fact, I've already sort of done that because I went uh, to New Zealand uh, to visit some friends and I got to spend a week doing some work there and also on the in the evenings uh, or during the day, just going and visiting friends and family and um, also working. Yeah, um, see, I think more people are doing it than they realize. They just haven't wrapped their head around it. And you can also just do it where you live, like pick a new neighborhood that you want to spend time in or if there's a museum you want to go to and go to that museum and then stay there for a few extra hours and work in the museum restaurant or something. Just like find these little ways of bringing creativity and joy and like exploration into your life in whatever way is meaningful to you. And that's great because then you can have the view of some beautiful painting rather than <laughs> the apartment next door. Exactly. And it'll help with your productivity. Perfect. Perfect. I love that. So we also have some questions from the audience. Um, so our Amazing. first, yes, perfect. Um, now our first question sort of relates back to what you were talking about earlier. Um, and it's how do you manage distractions at home, like family or pets? Yeah. Um, so pets is a tricky one. Um, I don't have any pets, but when I've, I've worked from home visiting my family before, 
and we had a new puppy that ate through my computer charger while I was on a call with uh, the CEO of my company and then Ooh. like had to edit the call and go buy a new computer charger. Um, thank you, uh, Best Buy, for, for that experience. So, so that was like a remote work fail for me. I would just really say um, when it comes to family members, it's very similar to coworkers. It's about setting expectations and clearly stating your needs and your preferences of how you work. And so what I've learned when I've gone home now to visit my family is um, kind of like straight laced in HR as it sounds. I sit my family down and I say like, I'm super excited to spend time with you. Here are the important meetings that I have if you don't think that the dogs can be like put away in like the bedroom or the living room while I'm in this other room, then probably I'll go to a library or a co-working space during this time and then we can coordinate to meet for dinner. And so I do have to sit down and sort of proactively talk about my schedule when I'm visiting people um, that have pets, when it's my own pets, I don't know. Um, you know, make sure you you invest in a good dog trainer and, and make sure you take breaks to play with them and give them attention because that's the best part of working from home. And when it comes to people working in your physical space, like I talk a lot um, with my spouse about this. We, we sit there and we have talked about the different workspaces, even in our home and how we're going to structure our day. Are we working out of the house? Are we working at home? Do we want to spend time working together? We call it co-working at our kitchen. Like the co-working kitchen table is open today or it's closed today. Who needs the private co-working call space when? And it's really like as if I was talking to my colleagues about setting up our work and our expectations, just doing it again with family members. It might feel awkward at first, but if you set those rituals and go back to the beginning of this call, what do you need? What does the other person need? Where are we on the same page? Where are we not on the same page? And we need to create simple rules for each other. It's the same advice for the people you live with and the people you work with. And it sounds like communication is very important there as well. Always, yeah. Mm. Communicate your needs. <laughs> um, so, and this is also a little bit related to what we were talking about earlier, but working from home has created different expectations around time off. Um, so how, how do people continue to take time off when your boss knows that you can do those tasks at home um, um, and all the equipment's there? Yeah. Um, so time off is still really important and it's different than taking a few, you know, 20 minute walk around the block. And so first I would sit down with your team and define the types of time off that exists. And so in our book, again, with Dr. Sahar Yosef that, that we've mentioned earlier in this interview, there are three types of breaks that we've identified. And so if these breaks are useful for you to bring into your own language at work, there are things I would encourage you to do. So there's things like a micro break. And these are just you know a few minutes a day, maybe like 15 minutes a day, that you take multiple times throughout the day. Maybe it's that going for a walk around the block, changing location from coffee shop to home. Um, it could be just an afternoon shower to like get your energy going again. Those are things that I strongly believe don't need to be like shared or accounted for at work. I think that's where remote work allows for that personal autonomy. And so what's important then is to not discuss or to over communicate the time away from the desk. Instead, communicate the time you're expected to be at the desk. When are your synchronous calls and meetings at your company? Do you have a culture of synchronous office time, like core hours? And 
what are the expectations around those core hours? If someone messages you on Slack, what is the response cadence that's appropriate? Ask those specific questions in order to set expectations. And then there's things like mezzo breaks. Um, these are breaks that are like two to four hours off the computer at a time. Um, these might be the big breaks you take, like, hey, I want to take an afternoon off. Um, the morning just got to me. Um, or you have doctor's appointments, things like that. The ways you communicate that at your company, again, can be really different. On the scale of full autonomy, maybe it's not required for you to share that information because you're being completely judged on your output throughout the week. And if you don't have a meeting, it doesn't matter. Um, scaling towards being more nurturing around transparency and sharing that information, maybe what that looks like is you just block off your calendar and say out of office. Um, and then talk with your HR team, with your manager around what designates a full day of time off, especially if you're going to make those hours up in a non-traditional work day. And so if, especially if it's something like, you know, I'm taking four hours off, but I'm still working the designated 35 or 40 hours through the week. How do we handle that? Again, it's asking very specific questions to get very specific expectations. And the most important break, and this is the break that everybody still needs, regardless of if you're a digital nomad and you can work while you're on vacation in Portugal, or if you're working from home and you can work from home anytime, anywhere, you do need macro breaks. That's more than just your traditional sort of like weekend or two days off. It's important to take half or full days off throughout the month to rest and recharge. And these are days where taking that PTO, claiming it on your calendar, making sure that work is handed off to other people and you're communicating that to your manager through project management tools and shutting down your apps, deleting them if you want to go the route of, of me is incredibly important. And again, ask your company, what is the PTO policy? How many holidays am I allowed to take? Um, how much time do I need to request in advance? Make sure that you understand these things so that you feel empowered to do that and that you can do it without work sneaking up on you. And so I think a great time is to know, is this gonna be in the middle of a pri of a huge priority project? If so, maybe I just wanna do those like two to four hour breaks to like maintain balance. Or is this a good time of transition in my projects where taking a few days rest will be really important? Um, again, the themes of communication, expect expectation setting, clear definitions of what's considered a day off are all themes that are increasingly important in remote work. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I will be using those in my own life because I, I definitely have those problems where I'm on holiday and I get a text and I'm like, oh, I'll just I'll just do five minutes or whatever. And it's never just five minutes. Um, yeah. Whereas I find, yeah, having that really designated time off is so restful. It's more restful than just than you think it's going to be really. Yeah, and another piece of advice I do have is like transition back to holiday slowly. I think a lot of people take time off, jump back into work and have so many unread messages that it's almost erases the benefit of the holiday itself. So if you do have a flexible time schedule with work, I would schedule it in a way where you're on holiday and then you have one or two days to transition back to work, like one day to catch up on things one day to reprioritize work and on the third day you're back in full swing especially if you, this is like when you're taking like maybe a full week or two weeks off for like a a proper long holiday 
I love that because yeah, I had that and I I got back and I was like straight into it, straight into interviews, straight into emails, and I was I was swamped for two weeks. Yeah. And it erases everything. Then you're like, okay, I need another holiday now. Like, let's go. Exactly. Exactly. But long weekend coming up, so can't can't complain. Um, So if 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 our listeners want to find out more about you, where can they go? Yeah. So um, our website is remoteworksbook.com. It's the best place to go to read more of the thought leadership we share, buy our book, um, and learn more about the workshops that we offer. Um, the book Remote Works Managing for Freedom, Flexibility, and Focus is available worldwide on Amazon. And you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn to hear more about my remote work uh, inspirations, challenges, debates, and hot, uh, hot topic opinions. And if you're interested in more of the digital nomad life, I finally started using my Instagram again. And so I'm seen green on Instagram and I share a lot of my digital nomad travels. So a lot of coffee shop pictures. Perfect. And we'll make sure those links are in the show notes so that everyone can find you and see your uh, coffee pics. Cause um, <laughs> I know that those are the most important things. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for joining me today. I've learned a lot about remote working and because it's so uh, pertinent to my lifestyle, I'm going to be using some of those. Awesome. Can't Can't wait to hear how it goes for you. Perfect. Thank you. You have been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pp.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.